guess it's true what they say about you people. Can't trust a fucking word comes out of your mouth. What's the matter, John Rue? I hurt your feelings. As a matter of fact, you did. I know I'm the only black son bitch you ever conversed with, so I'm going to cut you some slack. But you got no idea what it's like being a black man facing down America. The only time black folks are safe is when white folks is disarmed. And this letter had the desired effect of disarming white folks. Call it what you want. I call it a dirty fucking trick. You want to know why I lie about something like that, white man? To another radio show. A broadcast not only of sight and sound, but of mind, mind. A journey into the wondrous land whose boundaries are that of the imagination. imagination. That's the on air sign up ahead. Your next stop, Afro Nerd Radio. With your guides, Dee Bird, Captain Kirk, and on Grindhouse Saturdays, the uncanny Daryl D. And introducing West Coast correspondent, Miss Claire Linnae. Mind expansion engaged. ever closer to the premiere of the Avengers film Infinity War. I just cannot wait. The tickets are selling like gangbusters. It will be interesting as to how it will do against the stellar showing of Black Panther. I would surmise it will probably outperform Black Panther, but I don't know if it will perform if it will outperform Black Panther domestically. Probably global it will do better. But that that's something that's uh interesting to to figure out, interesting to discuss and debate about. Anyway, people, this is the Grindhouse podcast, the infamous Grindhouse podcast. Of course, you have myself, D-Bird, a.k.a. the Afro Nerd, as well as, as well as the captain, Captain Kirk. We may or may not have some of our other team members because of their intermittent status and because of their workload, so we understand that. If not, uh, we do what we do. The show must go on. 
You know the call-in number. That remains the same, 646-915-9620, 646-915-9620. Call on, call on questions, your protestations, your queries, all that jazz. You know my spiel by now. Let's go to an Herbalt group before we actually start to expound on some new data coming in from the last week. I got a chance to check out the Suicide Squad animated project, Hell to Pay. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, Upgrade, the Blumhouse Productions' latest trailer. Blumhouse, we know from the Purge films and more recently from Get Out. So that that production production company, I think we have to talk about them. And we mentioned them before, but their success rate is absolutely amazing. I would advise the listenership to go to the Wikipedia page just to simply see just how many films they put out, how much they invested in these films, and the return on these films. They're most known for producing low-budget horror films, and you can see that, again, the turnaround on the finances is something else. So we'll get into it. Anyway, people, let's go to an urban alternative groove, a black rock groove. Uh, that's another chief component of the Afro Nerd Radio grindhouse aesthetic. So without further ado, this is Mind Sign, Mind Sign, Cosmic Perspective. I think this is something for obvious reasons the captain could get into. Let's groove.
Grind Sign, Cosmic Perspective, and this is the Grind House where you can also get another type of cosmic perspective by this gentleman. He is the captain, Captain Kirk. You need it again on the grounds of Wakanda. Why not? Let's get to it, sir. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. It's continuing mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no one has gone before. Since we're into geekdom, nerddom, there's only one event that matters come 427 of 2018, Infinity War. (laughs) Get your tickets, get your feces together, ladies and gentlemen. I got two. All right, plebeians, start your engines. <laughs> Let's go after third. Yeah, uh, thanks and courtesy to our own of, I believe he's online now, actually, um, the Red Shirts podcast and, of course, the Prince podcast, um, podcast uh, Prince. Uh, why am I forgetting? I mean, I'm losing, actually losing my memory. What, what is his, his uh, Prince podcast called? Um, podcast Juice. Uh, the ginseng kicked in eventually podcastjuice.net. Definitely check out those gentlemen. Anyway, he sent a article, and I want to chop it up a bit before we get into the other topics. Um, it's not that it hasn't been said, said before, Captain, but this article, and I will put it in our chat room in two shakes. It is, again, discussing the, the success of Black Panther, but this time from one of the major players in the Marvel Universe, and that's Samuel L. Jackson. Sam Jackson has had a quite a, an illustrious and you know stellar career. I mean, he's essentially the the James Brown of movie making in the sense that he's the hardest working man in show business. I mean, he's how many major franchises he's been connected with. And when you think about his humble beginnings uh, and also his drug addiction going back many decades, and it's, it's uh, rather profound that he was able to beat beat that that um that disorder that disease and uh if anything it's proof positive that it shows you where a person can come from and again i mean you know, this this gentleman is a morehouse graduate um although he's had you know i'm not going to go into that but you can look up his history about his uh <laughs> radical days at morehouse emphasis on, emphasis on the term radical but when you think about how he is really like Profoundly Mr. Hollywood, and even he is saying he has reservations about the hoopla centered around Black Panther. I mean, you know, being being that Black Panther has been so successful with the majority black cast, many are led to believe that, oh, well, this signifies change in Hollywood that they would have to consider not making things so much of a, de- a default white image product that if if a again 
a predominantly black movie, a sci-fi movie on top of that, can garner a, a billion plus globally, then why not explore other projects with black, brown, yellow, red? You know, the the the, the door the door should be open based on on you know the success of the movie. But he's essentially saying, hmm. He's not, he's not so sure about that. He's going into, and I think the captain has mentioned this before, and I'll read a little, bit, a little bit more as to what exactly he said. But to paraphrase, he's saying that it's one thing for a heroic superhero-themed superhero sci-fi fantasy to translate globally. That's one thing. But it's, it's another thing to showcase black everyday life, black dramatic pieces. And then to think that that will translate globally, that might be more work involved. That might be a whole ball of wax. So let me, let me read this from comicbookmovie.com so we can get to some specificity. Uh, the title, of course, is Samuel L. Jackson Isn't So Sure Black Panther Will Significantly Change Hollywood. Uh, Black Panther far exceeded expectations at both the domestic and worldwide box offices, and the fact it's broken so many records with a lead character who was black has led many to proclaim that the Marvel Studios movie has forever changed Hollywood. There's definitely some weight to that argument, but one person who isn't quite convinced is Captain Marvel star Samuel L. Jackson. During a recent interview, the actor revealed that he doesn't believe Black Panther was actually the watershed moment many made it out to be and that's because at its core, it's an action adventure. I'm not positive that Black Panther is going to change the dynamic of black stories being told in Hollywood. This is what he says. This is his quotes. Um, being told in Hollywood and being accepted all over the world, he says. It's an accent, an action adventure story, and a lot of people like those, and they'll work all over the world forever because everybody loves a hero. But not everybody loves a drama about somebody's life experience. That's why awards have a separate category for foreign films. They are perceived as being different. Once we stop perceiving them as different and just see them as good films and they get recognized in the same category, we'll be laying markers. Cap, what are your thoughts about what Mr. Jackson is asserting? Yeah, so, uh, you know, he, well, that's a go-to man. He's going to know. He does this day in, day out. You know, he's inside the house. He moves inside all the different rooms inside the house. We see it partially from inside, partially from inside and totally from the outside. So I'll put it even more simple. I think Hollywood is just business as usual. Hollywood, for most part, really doesn't change. They go through certain waves, certain trends, and then they go back to business as usual. Truth be told, if it was a logical type of business, which it is not, <laughs> which like most things are, black films should be left and right because it's been demonstrated that, especially here in Americas, that blackness sells. That's been demonstrated from TV shows, from movies, from everything else. Plenty of that going on. Plenty of that going on. So I think more or less that he's absolutely correct. He made it more elaborate, you know, because he's definitely inside the house. 
24 hours a day, seven days a week. This is what he does. But I so much, so much, and pretty much agree with him. Back over to you, sir. Yeah, you know, uh, I've said this on repeat on our show. And I just want to add a little bit, and then we'll move along to the topics at at hand. But I was just thinking as you were speaking that I think – well, it's a twofold thing that I'm looking at. One, I believe that he is patently correct, and a lot of it has to do with the the credentials he brings to the discussion, the fact that he's been in the movie business for such a long time and that he came literally from nowhere. I mean this guy had just come off – had just come off a drug stent when he did um, Jungle Fever. And that that might be the reason why he was able to play a crack-addled person so effectively because he literally had just come, come out of rehab when he was able to to master that role. And that role is still still a haunting role. I mean, you know, I think many people thought that he should have been awarded for an Oscar for that alone. Anyway, um, so he, he brings a lot of credentials to the discussion. But what I'm thinking of is, one, um, there's things that – African-Americans need to be doing, uh, people of color in the macro, but black folks in the micro. There's things that we need to be doing to, to make it more of a foundational thing, and I don't think we're doing it. We seem to, as you kind of hinted at, habits are hard to break, and we can talk about the corporate habit of just kind of going along, chugging along, going into um, – you know, deal, dealing with the bureaucracy of Hollywood and also dealing with the adnitudinal things going on in Hollywood, those things are very hard to change. Now, we, we, we see the change because of the hashtag Me Too, but I don't see an analogous movement for people of color to, to elicit something that, something that would be foundational. What is Afrener talking about? Well, coincidentally, uh, 80s actress, legendary actress. I, I will get, get her, give her that. Molly Ringwald, Ringwald, Ringwald. <laughs> Molly Ringwald. Pardon me. Uh, in a recent New Yorker article, she, uh, 25 years later, is basically revisiting her work with John Hughes, and she really came into fold as a teenager with the, the, these movies that are you know, almost 30 years old now, uh, The Breakfast Club and so forth, many of these movies that we, we all of us grew up on, um, have seen either live or in syndication, it's a generational thing. And she is the mother of now a daughter who is essentially the age that she was when she was performing. And they were revisiting her work this, the Criterion Collection of many of those films that she starred in, courtesy of John, the late John Hughes, putting her own work through the strainer of the hashtag MeToo movement. A lot of that stuff does not measure up. Now, why do I bring, why do I bring that up? Because hashtag MeToo is, is, is making it where this stuff is being deconstructed, analyzed, and the the culture has changed, and the things that you could get away with back then, you cannot get away with right back uh, now. And even 
the star of that is heralding this kind of thing. Black folks are a little too comfortable in getting gigs as opposed to, sure, the gigs are important, but those gigs have to translate into a medium, into a foundation that is infrastructural that black folks have a little bit more play in, a little bit more ownership in than just being a hired helper. Because, again, history shows us that we've been here before. There have been waves of, of black interest, of black popularity, and we're so happy to be seen, many of us, that we do not do the due diligence afterward to say, okay, this role translates into jobs, translates into a production house, translates into um, an infrastructure where it's not going to be easy to go away. But if it's just black folks are hoopering and hollering over um, Oscar So White, and then you get a couple of gigs or even a, you know, a, a number of gigs for a finite amount of time, emphasis on finite. You get a couple of gigs for a finite a length of time, but that is, it doesn't become canon, then what does it all mean? It means that we, you know, we, we might have a good three- to five-year run if we're lucky. Let's say we have a good five-year run of, of high-profile black folk that give the appearance of success, the appearance of, of movement. But then it shuts 2025, 2026. Then it's all for naught. So that's, that's what I'm concerned with. And that's what I think Sam Jackson is talking about, that we're a little too eager to shine versus what is it going to take to have our own corner of the universe? Black folks need to be, need to be more concerned about that. Uh, I remember there was a story and this is true, involving one of my heroes, Jim Brown. You know, Jim Brown also was a player in the movie business. You know, he was a, but he was a, a, a thinking black man, even in the, the, in the uh, late 60s, 70s, and even in the 80s. And he was a, a close friend, a compatriot, and colleague of Richard Pryor. And Richard Pryor and Jim Brown had a production company, studios called, uh, I believe Indigo Studios was the name. Sergio would know more about this. Indigo Studios had an opportunity to, to get their hands on Purple Rain. They, they were in that discussion, and then something happened where essentially uh, Richard Pryor was, was nervous in pulling the trigger. He was nervous in, in, in having a key to a house. And Jim Brown talks about this. You can you Google this. You can go to YouTube, and you can could, you could see the disappointment in his face that they had a chance to have a a majority black film with a black rock star, which would have been something interesting. I think like Fargnoli, uh, that name rings a bell was behind that. If you ever saw the, 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 um, uh, the the credit after credit scenes of purple rain, those are the the managers or those are the guys that were behind. I believe it was a Warner brothers, obviously the Warner brothers product back then. Again, you had a black owned production company, that had proper rain, but because – I think it lasts to this day. Black folks aren't comfortable sometimes in getting the keys to their own house. We don't know what happened with uh, Dave Chappelle. 
Dave Chappelle had a $50 million deal. Now, fortunately, because of his skill level, he can come back a decade and a half later and, and get that money from Netflix. So, you know, but at the time, it looked to me, it seemed like he was shook on that. But we, I don't know if we're going to ever get the real story as to wh- how he was did like three seasons and um, we saw the Comedy Central was going to give him the keys to his own house. And then he, you know, he and then he goes to Africa. Anyway, I can go on and on and on. Folks, this is the Grindhouse. The call-in number remains the same. If you'd like to join in on the discourse, simply press number one on your phones. If you're listening by phone, um, I know that many of our listeners have their smartphones. They're listening in their cars and so forth, uh, Bluetooth and, and, and all that. 646-915-9620. 646-915-9620. All right. So um, let, let's get into this. Uh, before I even discuss Suicide Squad, Hell to Pay, who, again, an animated film by Warner Brothers, by DC, that I actually thoroughly enjoyed. But before that, this Blumhouse Productions' latest trailer, Upgrade, they have, they, they have a, a, a reputation now of really making these low-budget films that are interesting. They get attention. They're not like – they're actually quite good. And they're done on the cheap, and I say on the cheap in quotes, and they seem to be wholesale, provocative, creative. They, they hit things from different angles, even though it's within the horror genre. So we have this upgrade trailer that was released to the cyber, cyber webs last week. Uh, Captain, what are your thoughts about it? Maybe you might want to unpack for our audience what upgrade appears to be and your thoughts about what Blumhouse has done this time around with uh, this latest effort. I think it's coming out June 2018. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Now, I didn't see the trailer. I'm about to watch it right now. The trailer I did not see, but we could, I could definitely talk about Blumhouse. That type of formula is excellent. But the thing with Hollywood... <laughs> It seems like Hollywood would much rather spend $300 million in attempt to try to make $900 million where they, when it all, when the smoke all clears, from the theater standpoint, they probably make a $150 million profit from the theater standpoint, you know, when the smoke all clears. It sounds big, but how the breakdowns, as I said before, 80% the first week, then it goes to 60 or 70 the next week. 50, 40, and then after about five weeks in the, in the theater, you're making about 20% of that gross that comes back to you. It seems like they'd much rather do that because the number, even though the profit might be $150 million, $200 million, and they spent all that, that amount of money, it's still more money a lot of times when you start to break things down. And also those are the properties, the IP a lot of times, not all the time, a lot of times is a lot bigger. So there's merchandise and things of that nature that's flying underneath the table so they can make more money. But this is a good business model, this smaller situation, what Blumhouse is doing. It's a good business model. The business model for the bigger films is not really good. That's why you have to develop all these different streams, these different revenues in order to make money. Also with the licensing deals and everything else, that they do with, let's say, Netflix. A lot of money there. Netflix has to pay out. 
to let's say to a you know a Warner Brothers or Disney's or Universal or whoever they pay out. They pay out a lot of money. Same thing with Hula, HBO, and the rest of these people. So they need that formula in order to really to make money with these huge properties. But they seem to like it more though. You know, seem to like it more. This right here, from movie to audience, is a very good business model. So it's highly intelligent. Something you don't really see in Hollywood. When you look at things, it, they do things without rhyme or reason for most part. At least that's how it seems at the glance at the movie theater. So I'm going to pass it back to you in pertaining to that. And then I'm just going to look at the trailer real quick. And then after you speak, I'll comment on it. Back over to you, sir. All right. To, to be specific about Upgrade, Upgrade, again, as I mentioned, is um, it's uh, a forthcoming film out of out of Australia, even though it is a Blumhouse Productions project that's coming out June 1st, 2018, and it stars uh, Logan Marshall Green, who I think is kind of sort of on the come up, uh, burgeoning young actor. We, we've seen him before in uh, Spider-Man. Actually, he was the, sh- the shocker in Spider-Man Homecoming. He's been an alien covenant, so he's making the rounds. Anyway, so he's the, 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 the main guy, the protagonist, and from what I can tell in the trailer, uh, Ma- Marshall Green's character is a family man who loses his wife tragically in a violent criminals uh, come upon him. So again, I, we don't know the full deal there, but his, his, uh, he and his family are attacked. He survives the attack. His family, especially his wife, uh, she does not. She succumbs. Uh, this takes place in the distant future. So it looks to be maybe 20 years in, in our 20 or 30 years in our future. Uh, and he survives it, but he's, he is a, he's paralyzed. I don't know if he's a quadriplegic. I don't know if he's a paraplegic, but he can't walk. He's offered a new technology. And the technology is an AI technology. Uh, if I remember correctly, it's, uh, I think it's called, I think it's some kind of a computer chip called STEM. The acronym is STEM. So he, this, this chip is implanted in his spine. Again, we see this in the trailer. It's implanted in his spine, and you're thinking you know, the chip it will just somehow enable him to walk, and that'll be the end of it. No, no, no. You find out that the, the chip... Is, is internal, but it is an AI chip with its own mind. So, he's able to converse mentally with this, with this uh, artificial intelligence. That he's able to have a conversation. And essentially, he will be allowed to perform some extraordinary feats of strength in martial arts uh, with the assistance of the AI and finding out who killed, who attacked him and who killed his family. So when you look at the trailer, how he's fighting, the conversation, the internal dialogue, or pardon me, yeah, internal dialogue, I say monologue, internal dialogue he's having with the AI, we've never really seen anything like this. Now we've seen quote unquote body horror films before. Now, again, these are the same people that, that brought you Saw, by the way. So this, this is their bailiwick. Um, I find this fascinating to, to see something like this. There's a little bit of humor in it. 
obviously it's a dark humor. Uh, we're still getting into, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily say it's a dystopic future, but it's still getting into the, the potential horror of artificial intelligence, although he's using it, at least from what we see in the trailer, he's u- using it to his benefit. So anyway, I, I think this is um, – the trailer is just I, – I have never seen anything like this. <laughs> and this is, go, again, going into the, the, uh, the Bloomhouse effect. So, and also one other thing. This is what I was hinting, hinting at with the success of these films. I was going to mention a, cu- a couple of the films so you know the, the, the success. You know, this, this isn't all about altruism and, and um, creativity. I mean, when you start to see the kind of, of box office that these things have, are garnering, I mean, Blumhouse came into, really came into, into um, social consciousness with their paranormal franchise. The first paranormal activity the budget was 15000 allegedly. The budget was 15000 and the gross was $193 million. And they've been making movies. This goes back to 2009. So we're talking about almost 10 years where they've been on a run of making films with almost that kind of dynamic. So 15000 to $193 million is, is is crazy. Paranormal 2 was $3 million, So they went up a bit. Three million, one hundred and seventy-seven million was a take. Still, extremely impressive. I'm going to go around a bit more. It's, I mean, because a lot of their films, you know, they they, they are in that you know they, these numbers are what they are. Um, let's see what else is here. What else do I see here? Uh, the The Gallows, The Gallows in 2015, a hundred grand, forty-three million. Um, of course, you know, a split. M. Night Shyamalan. I've been play, paying close attention to the split because we know that we're going back into the uh, Shyamalan's Unbreakable universe. We didn't, we didn't necessarily know that was coming. But uh, M. Night Shyamalan coming back into the fold with, with, through, via Bloomhouse, split was $9 million. The box office was $278 million. Get Out, we know, $4.5 million. $255 million was a takedown, and even to a lesser degree, uh, something that I've yet to see. I know it was – I heard it was decent. Dulay Hill was in this about uh, black superheroics. Slight, like sleight of hand. Slight was 250000 and uh, they were able to get $4 million out of that. So, um, it was, hey, hey, look at this. Insidious, the last key. Insidious was made for $10 million the take was 166 million. It's incredible. It really is incredible. Cap. So, did you get a chance to check out the trailer while I was uh, going on about the success of Blumhouse? Yeah, yeah, I, che- I, def- I definitely checked it out. Starting to get the AI technology right because, based on how it really works, as I said, everyone needed to watch Agents of Shield when they did Ada. Brilliant, brilliant. AI correctly because a human can think AI really cannot think so the merging of the two is really what you need indirectly (laughs) in order for it to work so you see something you could see that there in the trailer that's the reality of it because humans have a higher dimensionality computers stay in two dimensions so if you can merge the two 
either from their physical energy body, biophysical energy body, or physically, just like how they did more or less. That's how you need an AI to work, a true AI in order to work. You could do tremendous things with it. And that's the whole thing that's in uh, the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. ADA. Gives you the breakdown. You don't have to worry about all the mathematics and science. It's in the parable form. So it looks good. Looks good. Was I blown away? No, I wasn't blown away. But it looks like, you know, it looks like, it looks good. Looks good. Looks good with that trailer. Let's see what happens with it. Let's see if they can still follow their trend. Back to you, sir. I might have misspoke about the Saw franchise. I mean, I thought that uh, I knew that they didn't do all of the Saw franchise, but it looks like they didn't have anything to do with Saw necessarily. Although Saw would definitely be like a body horror film, but um, I thought I thought they might have done the last Saw, but I appear to be mistaken. Anyway, um, you know, one other thing too to take note of. I, I really was it. I think I think this is what I, I would like for for Daryl if you were here to chime in. I think the temperature for the upcoming Spawn reboot is a little lukewarm, and essentially because Todd McFarlane, I mean, even though I give him a lot of props as a comic book creator, but he's taking on uh, directing duties for Spawn, and you know that could go either way. However, Spawn is under the Blumhouse umbrella. So maybe we maybe we, we might be in for something. Uh, Spawn is probably going probably going to be done for a respectable, uh, modest budget, and we'll see. It's, it's probably going to do some kind of numbers anyway, based on how Blum, based on Blumhouse's financials. But I hope that it does. I hope it's good. Uh, Todd McFarlane's involvement notwithstanding. So, I mean, he certainly knows the character, but knowing the character and you know, I, I have no idea what, how that's going to work out because some folks say, and I say, I have said this, that uh, the genius of many of these comic book creators is that they essentially storyboard a movie without making the movie. That's probably one of the reasons why a comic book is so easy, at least out, outwardly, from my perspective. It looks like these comic book movies are easy, easy to sell to, um, to Hollywood companies because they're, they're literally storyboarded. I mean, there's already some a bit of popularity with some of these comic books to begin with, so there's some some heat on these properties, on the IP itself, some notoriety on the, on the property, but then when you could, okay, you, you, when you could vi- actually literally pick up a comic book or pick up a TPB, a trade paperback, and visualize something just akin to a storyboard, Maybe maybe McFarlane can kind of translate that over into a cinematic property. I don't know. But I feel a little bit better that it is under the Blumhouse production umbrella. So we will see. That's forthcoming. Anyway, folks, again, this is the Grindhouse. I have my partner in White Collar Crime in full effect. He's live and direct. The call-in number remains the same, 646-915-9620. Again, 646-915-9620. We also have our infamous Patreon account. If you'd like to contribute, if you'd like to see that we go further with what we are giving our audience, and I have a lot of ideas that I'd like to actually unleash on the world. I think that the need for a a Collider-esque, a Collider-esque, property, a Collider-esque 
uh, YouTube channel, maybe even moving away from blog talk, um, emphasizing guests. I mean, there's, there's certainly a lot of product that has to be promoted that I think we're not collectively as blurs. I don't think we're doing the kind of job, the kind of work that is necessary to actually get some of these black products out there. I mean, there are and now there are an immeasurable amount of blurred product, nerds of color product. It's not like it was, you know, five or ten years ago when you might have had a sprinkling of things going on. Now there is a, a cornucopia of black themed geek fair that we should be capitalizing on. And I think you need to have an Afro nerd. Uh, I mean, they, listen, there there are others, but everybody has their own kind of agenda. To how I feel, and I've said this many times, Captain. We you know we can agree to disagree, not about you and I necessarily, but maybe even with our listening audience. I I personally think that some of the blur community that we're, that we're caught up a little a little too much in the promotion of versus really getting into some of the more um, independent projects that are coming out from the community. I think they could. I think they could be half and half. I think you could do the stuff that we love, irrespective of race. I think that's important because we are nerds for for Christ's sake. Irrespective of race, we can talk about some of these products. We could talk about the people of color that are involved. That are that are involved in these products, uh, in the, the the corporate products. We could talk about that, and we could also talk about the the independent projects out there, Kugali Media. You know, um, there's there's still about I think maybe two weeks left on Paul Louise Julie's Johansson uh, animated film at Kickstarter. I would advise our listenership to, to help this young man out because he's putting together a animated style. I mean, when when have we seen that? I mean, you know, we can go even beyond or uh, provide a, a great additive additive. Pardon me, a great additive. For what has happened with the Black Panther success, so there's things which is what I've been talking about before. Some folks seem not to understand what I was saying. That oh well, you know, uh, that yes, yeah, some folks we see the, see plenty of these YouTube channels where uh, you know Disney's making this money, we're making Disney more wealthy, and yada yada yada. Yeah, yeah, that's understood. But we should be able to capitalize for ourselves that yes, it's a happy accident. They will become wealthy, but your payment is your pride. You had a a moment where black folks were in unison in a prideful way. Now let's carry over in spite of, of Disney's coffers being fed, in spite of Disney becoming more successful. You know, we need to catapult our own properties off of the success of Black Panther. I think some of that is happening. I just hope that we're able for it to continue. And again, you know, um, uh, Mr. Samuel L. Jackson, as I said at the top of the show, he's a little bit trepidatious about about that. But listen, it's one thing to be timid or to be leery of it. We still got to keep it moving. We still have to try to, to to create some kind of way in the world. Anyway, let's go let's go deeper. And again, press one. After dialing six four six nine one five nine six two zero, if you'd like to like to join in, that way we know that you want to contribute. All right, um, Cap, let's uh, 
go to Suicide Squad Hell to Pay, the latest DC animated movie that I had to, I had to uh, check out. I think I actually checked it out yesterday. Did you get a chance to check out this thing? Cap? Hello? Can you hear me? Yes. Yes. Okay. Nope. Didn't see that. This one's all you. All right. You get a moment because I know that we are barraged with all this type of stuff. And who, who has the time to see it? But um, I did I did square off a couple of hours to actually check out, check out Suicide Squad, Health to Pay. And uh, Sam Liu directed this thing, and his name has been bounty – uh, bandied about uh, with with his involvement in DC animated works, and um, I, I I must say, and this has been something that's been ongoing. I guess it's falling on deaf ears, but after seeing Suicide Squad: Hell to Pay and the adult nature of it, it befuddles me, Captain. Ad nauseum. <laughs> How does how does the WB get it so right for the cinematic, cinematic um, universe, cinematic, pardon me, cinematic universe, and so wrong for the live action? I mean, it was adu- adult enough. It was, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of the reason why I, I played uh, the Hateful Eight cold opening, because the, the, the Hateful Eight, Quentin Tarantino's Hateful Eight was essentially the post-bellum version of Suicide Squad. Almost the same amount of villains, as it were. Or, yeah, you, you can't even call them anti-heroes. They were, they were villains. They were, they were likable, but not likable. <laughs> you, might have, you, you might have liked them because of their personalities, but they were definitely not likable people in, in, in Tarantino's work. And um, Suicide Squad, this sequel, was was an excellent way um, of really displaying what we should have seen in a live action film. The live action film, I I don't know if it was about you know uh, being too careful or trying to appeal to children. Uh, I, matter of fact, was Suicide Squad the movie that wasn't rated R, was it? Was that, was that PG thirteen? I'm pretty sure it wasn't. That might have been half the problem. But after <laughs> Deadpool, well, look, Deadpool made like eight hundred million dollars or something to that effect, mm-hmm. with with a fifty six million dollar budget, and because of the success of that film, now it takes someone to put, to dip dip their toe in the pool, one person, for everybody else to say, okay, we can get behind that now. So now there's, there's less trepidation in, in pursuing a fantasy film, a superhero film, sci-fi, with an R rating. So the Suicide Squad should have really been an R-rated thing. So I, I, I don't think it was. I'm checking. I'm it, checking was it was PG-13. Well, ex- yeah, it was PG-13. It made sense. So it, it did not have any teeth, and the way those characters acted, there they was such an overwhelming push to make those characters real heroes or heroes by happenstance. You know, in a way, 
it, it just no, no. When you see the animated film, they're they're cursing, the the sexuality involved in it, uh, violence. I mean, it, matter of fact, <laughs> they they the were suicide they were, squad. Uh, <laughs> That's it. It's their suicide. Go ahead. Well, well, the the suicide. Well, exactly. The the whole premise from the comics people were expendable. They're just trying to hang on. They, they're heroes because they're forced to be. They're they're forced to do uh, acts of hero heroism under under uh, duress. They have bombs in their heads. So. You know the way these guys. I mean, the humor, the humor of the of the cartoon, is that these personalities, how they juxtapose against each other. And and I must repeat, tenor of the film is uh, of this movie is. I mean, it it. I just wow. I said wow. If this was if this was live action, it would be off the chain. And also. You know, when you think about the voice talent, you know, again, you had real actors doing the voices. It wasn't, you know, you, I mean, listen, even if the, even with the way um, DC Animated works, even if the actors, like, you have to, you, we have to be, you have to give props to Kevin Conroy, who's, who's been portraying Batman vocally for more than two decades. So you, you can't say that he's not a real actor. When I use the term real action, I'm talking about folks that we've seen in live action that are strong. So, you know, Christian Slater portrays Deadshot, you know, the Will Smith character, but he, he portrays Deadshot in, the, in this piece. Um, uh, Vanessa Williams, you know, singer, actress Vanessa Williams, uh, is Amanda Waller. So, uh, and, and Tara Strong, we know, Tara Strong, we know. Just in the vocal in the vocal role, just as we know Kevin Conroy, so she's a she's a uh, a voice actress of legend, but uh, of note. But again, you know, uh, I will say this without giving away too much of the plot because I don't want to ruin it for folks. But uh, again, you have these you have these criminals under the tutelage of Amanda Waller that are forced to to get this this special card. It's a mystical playing card i think this has been done in 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 print before with this card but it's a card that was in the possession of dr fate and dr fate actually makes an appearance in this film in this animated film but you have uh this card that's supposed to uh, allow someone entrance into heaven upon death so if you have done, no matter what you've done, whatever, your, whatever acts you performed in life that were absolutely heinous, they would probably guarantee you a seat in hell. This card is a cheat. So there, there are folks that are near death, uh, even, um, I don't want to say anything, but there are a number of characters that really need that card. And Amanda Waller wants to get that card because it was stolen from uh, from Doctor Fate. And you have Deadshot, you have uh, 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 Count Vertigo, you have the Bronze Tiger, um, African American hero, but he's 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 he's, he's her- heroic, 
but he was he was jailed for a reason. He was in jail anyway. So, but he is still a hero. Copperhead, Killer Frost, and so forth. Killer Frost, we know we see in Flash. So there are a number of uh, and, and Professor Zoom. We have Professor Zoom. So you have all these characters, evil, expendable, uh, R-rated, cursing, sexuality, and this is the, and also I, I must say it it also there's it's also in the same universe because it, there's a twist with one of the characters where you where you where you find out storyline is directly connected to the uh, the previous previous DC animated film Flashpoint. So there's a reference to Flashpoint in this film. So it's definitely in the same canon, in the same mythology, which which also makes it doubly interesting. It's not really a one off. I I again, you know, uh, James Tucker produced this. James Tucker's a longtime DC 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 dude. Uh, these folks that work on the animation in the animation house for DC, they need to be brought in for the live action. If the live action employed half of what we see in, in animation, it would give Marvel a run, a run for its money because they got the characterization right. They got the characterization down, and as long as they have the CGI and have you know the, the suspense of of believability, sense of belief, the way that Marvel has kind of groomed us with their films, they will be. This will be. A, this will be. A, they will be a threat. They will be a contender. But if they if they continue to eschew away from what I clearly see in the animation house, it boggles the mind. So I would advise the listenership that uh, I believe uh, Tuesday is the release of Suicide Squad. April 10th, Suicide Squad's release on Blu-ray, but it's already available for digital download from the last, I guess, week and a half, two weeks. So I would definitely uh, give a thumbs up, two thumbs up for Suicide Squad, Hell to Pay. Any thoughts, Cap, before we go to a groove? Well, well, I know you didn't see it, but this. I know you need to see it, though. Yeah, I, well, of course I'll see it, man. By Wednesday, I'll see it. <clears throat> now, I'm going to add this. You know, it's something I said a while ago, a while ago. Everything is done top down, top down, top down. If we see some child, young person, preteen or teenager, cross-racially, going crazy in the street, they shot somebody, what's the first thing that we do? It's a rhetorical question. We know what we do. We look, we say, okay, that's messed up. We look at the parents, and then we try to piece things together, top down. And I would say nine times out of the ten, you can reverse engineer, you can backlog, and you can see how the kid ended up that way. Not every time. Not every time, but nine times out of ten. You understand? So we look at that. Now, what does this have to do with Suicide Squad and everything else? Obviously, it's not as Afronerd hinted to, and he might have just, no, I think he said it directly. It's not the same people that's running the cartoon aspect that's running the DC live action, the movies, top down. Something I had said originally, you look at the top, the top is the reflection of the bottom, the bottom is the reflection of the top. It's real easy, you know, and you can get a perspective and why things are not working out right. 
Now, that being said, if we're going to put this right, Marvel's cartoons are not as tight as DC. They're all right. You're not going to go, oh, man, it's garbage. It's all right. Not the same people that's running it. You see? So actually, the people that's doing live action for Marvel need to look at the cartoon and go help them out. You know, truthfully speaking. So remember something. Things are done top down. That's why the executives are very important. An executive has to sign off and say, you're going to be the voice actor. You're going to be this. You're going to do that. You're going to. There's someone that does that. It's not just we come together and we just say, oh, we got, we go ahead and do this. And it's totally chaotic. It's someone that does that across the board. That's how you get this type of product. And DC is nice with their cartoons across the board. Across the board. It's like whatever they put out. Marvel, you're all right. You understand? You're okay with it. No one's going to complain about it. You know? But that's what we have happening here. So by Wednesday afternoon, I'll check this stuff out. I'll check it out. Sounds good. I did see the Constantine, though. Constantine, I thought, was off the chain. And I didn't like the live action at all with Constantine. You know? But the cartoon was off the chain to me. Back to you, afternoon. Yeah, I had the reverse. <clears throat> I mean, I, I love the cartoon, but I actually liked the live action. I thought that, well, you know me, I have uh, reptilian interest. The Latina that was the love interest, I thought she was fetching. <laughs> I can't recollect her name. The Latina actress in the live action. Just She, she has beautiful – I don't want to go into it. <laughs> I get myself in trouble. She was attractive. I, I, I like that actress. Anyway, uh, – <laughs> Let's go to an herbal group, people, when we get back. Um, let's talk about Black Panther in Saudi Arabia. I find that interesting that, uh, once again, this, 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 this movie, you know, I, I, I may be, we may have to kind of capitulate or, you know, as I think about it, I mean, we, we heard what, what um, Sam Jackson just said, and I was in full agreement with him. And then you have to think about, well, listen, it's, it's, Black Panther is going to be the first film in Saudi Arabia essentially dismantling that 35-year cinema ban. So there's, there's something about it's something about that movie. There's something about it, we, we must say. It, it's, going to be, it's going to give a run for Hollywood's money and maybe having the conversation that things need to change. I just think that, uh, as I said before, there's going to be effort on the people to make the change the same way that women have garnered uh, support to make changes when it comes down to behavior and culture with, uh, with, with gender concerns and uh, with disrespect and so forth. Anyway, one of the listeners tweeted this gentleman out to me by way of Sacramento, and it's, 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 a, pretty, it's a pretty funky groove. I dig it. There's some expletives. I'm going to have to excuse the expletives. Excuse us for the expletives, but this man appears to be a talent out of Sacramento. The Philharmonic, the Philharmonic, pay me. We'll be right back. Let's groove. One, two, three, hit it.
Once again, that's a good record. Well, listen, it's, it's played at Africa Radio. <laughs> that's what record. we do. It's a good record. That's what we do. It's, it's not that difficult to play the jams. It's just that some folks don't want to do that. Um, again, folks, excuse the expletives, but that's the Philharmonic, a gentleman out of Sacramento, and uh, he also is a proficient lyricist and rap artist. I mean, you know, he can, he's also a a musician in the true sense of the word, but he also can rap. And I've seen him perform for Sway. I think Sway had some kind of, you know, talent search in 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 the in uh, California. He's from uh, Oakland, so he, he had uh, that gentleman is on YouTube. And um, I, you know, listen, I I don't know if he was able to. Sometimes it's it. It, it's troubling when when folks are kind of dismissed. He wasn't dismissive because he again he was a proficient lyricist. But you know when someone gives you a, a CD and you know people receive so many CDs, who who's to say what's going to happen from that? But uh, uh, the Phil, the Philharmonics music is available available on YouTube. You can listen to a lot of other cuts and there's a lot of live performances of this young gentleman. So, uh, again, you need to look out for this cat. This cat is very, 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 very skilled. The Philharmonic, pay me. And uh, I, I kind of agree with the sentiments of, the, <laughs> of that cut. Of to be course honest we do. You. you know that. You know, what I mean? you know that. That go without saying. Can I interject no. this, though? Since yeah, you're sure. talking about uh, CDs. Now, I've taken a lot of CDs from people over the course of the years. People on the street. Sometimes I was in a good mood. Coming out the bar, say, yeah, I'll buy you a seat. I ain't got five dollars. Here you go. You know, every time they were either just passing or horrible. One day, I got a hold of one CD, this, and it was a guy rapping, and he had some orchestrated music on it, talking about night. I said, yo, this dude is crazy. Out of all the CDs, I must have, I must have like maybe 35, 40 CDs off people on the street over the course of the years. One. I said, this is the guy right here. Someone needs to get a hold of this guy and go to the record company. <laughs> I said, this is it. I don't know what happened to him, 
you know, who knows, you know, you, uh, Captain likes, uh, not Captain, Afternoon likes to talk about that Lou, was it a Lou Goldberg machine? He might have went that route. You know, who knows? You know, but nice. So, again, you never know. You never know, Afternoon. You never know. Yeah. Uh, That's all. That was a little story. New York moment. And something else, too, because I think some people get it get it twisted with yours truly about how, how I perceive music that, um, you know, my music has to necessarily be vanilla. I don't necessarily like vanilla music completely. <laughs> you know, I, I go back and forth with it. You know, listen, I'm a Prince fan, so I'm a Prince fan, especially early early Prince. You can't deny, and even he had to deal with that as he was maturing, where people had to ask him, hey, wait a minute, you were the guy with your butt out, literally, singing about sex and se- sex, sexuality, and religion. Um, so does that make me a hypocrite, someone like, uh, you know, Nicki Minaj or Cardi B, who, was a, who appeared with Chadwick Boseman last night? Uh, I got a number of tweets, a flut, a, really a flutter of tweets. Really, you know, people were just happy to see <laughs> T'Challa himself. But I, I, you know, I'll check out some of the the clips on YouTube. I haven't really looked at SNL for years, but I, I just go by the, you know, the hit and miss stuff that I hear. That's quite funny. I, I t- for me, having grown up on SNL, it's past their heyday. You know, maybe uh, Alec Baldwin's send up of our president that's quite funny because he does a dead-on impression even even visually and and he's he he, he's one of the best impressionists we have seen of doing um president trump so anyway what am i getting at with with how i perceive music and even this last cut the black musical tradition a lot of it has has been um edgy and ribald Unquestionably, blues me the roots the roots of American music is unquestionably black. That that is you know that's the way it goes. And and beyond that, it was always cutting edge, always ribald, always uh, a lot of a lot of um, sub, subversive sexuality involved in it. That's a that's a component. It was it was spiritual. I mean that that's a a long-standing fight. I mean, that, that's even an internal fight with the performers themselves. We saw that in the Ray Charles, Ray Charles film. We see that in the many films that portrayed the R&B, R, R&B black rock artists going back 50, 70 years ago that you know, the, the public had issues with black music being translated as, as popular music because of the, the ribald nature of it. Um, and you know, and, and at the same time, there's also been a component that's been quite uplifting. The uh, the background for the civil rights movement, I, dare I say, that the success of the civil rights movement had a lot to do with its soundtrack, unquestionably. When you think of, of Bessie Smith or even Nina Simone performing the, the standard "Sugar in My Bowl," "Sugar Sugar in My Bowl." You can you can gather what that referenced. When this young man, the Philharmonic, says "F you pay me," you know, even though he's going into a little bit of of, of uh, blue talk, at least the meaning behind it has some depth. When you take the lyric sheet, I, I'm taking the lyric sheet from some of the mumble rappers. It's 
abject nihilism. It's it is different. It is different. I can't. You know what I mean? I can ride with a little bit of. I can. I can. I can. I can deal with even an n bomb here and there. Okay, but the n bomb years ago in music, it was used more like a weapon. It wasn't used like Tourette's. Now the lyric sheet, fifty percent of the lyric sheet is composed of the n word. That's not talent. So I, I'd be a liar. I, I would be disingenuous if I didn't address that black music, at least the early underpinnings of it, has always been about pushing buttons and moving things forward and being, being, um, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Being um, provocative to be profound, being profane, being profane to be profound is part of the black tradition. When I had um, Prince's childhood friend on a, a couple of times. I think he's a friend of the show, the great Andre Simone, who was a rather uh, extraordinary bassist in his own right. When I, I had to remind him, of, remind him of his boy. I said, "Listen, your boy would speak would speak about head, <laughs> head, and and uh, abscam and Jesus in the same conversation." A little different, a little different than Little Wayne and some of these other people. I'm just saying. Let me tell you something, Afro Dirt. Ronnie, half, Ronnie half talked to Russia. The... Ronnie talked to Russia and Head at the same time. I, 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 I gotta, I gotta look at that guy a little differently. Sorry, Cap. I want to, I had to get that out. Yeah, half, half of the flack what people try to bring to you. It's uh, more or less. I'm gonna get Afro Nerd now. I'm gonna get. <laughs> Here's this record. He likes this record. You know, this is this is going against type. One way is the highway situation. Let me tell you, <laughs> I find it hilarious a lot of times. A lot, half of it. That's what it is. But anyway, you know, coming up, people would say, you know, you be when you're around a lot of Christian people. As I started getting older. And being around a lot of Christian people, oh, that rap music is the devil's music and everything else, yada, yada, yada. I said, okay, that's good. Finding that, now they they come back again, come back again. Then I say, now I grab them. Then I say, okay, here go Rock Him. This is years ago now, going back in the 80s. Here go Rock Him. Oh, that Rock Him got some talent. Oh, he got a strong voice. Here you go, oh, oh. You see, so when the talent level is high on a lot of this stuff, you get people to capitulate. You know, they, they they have to back up. They have to surrender. You know, <laughs> they got to throw their hands up. You know, and they find themselves liking something that's well, it's supposed to be the devil's music. supposed to be devil's music. It's devil's music. You understand? It's going to possess you. It's going to, you know, they find themselves doing that. The thing nowadays, at least for mainstream, 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 a lot of the music, the talent, if I can jump up there without any practice and say, throw on the beat. There's a problem, <laughs> you understand? And do better than you with what you're saying. There's a problem, you know? Let's call a spade a spade, you know? Something for everyone to think about. I'm talking about from the mainstream, mainstream, top-down, mainstream, mainstream. Now, back again, going full circle with it. A lot of this is, let me try to catch Afro Nerd in a moment. I don't know why, but that seems to stimulate a lot of you. Back over to you, Afro Nerd. Yeah, I don't know what that is. I I don't know why that is. Trying to inform, I'm just putting out what I notice. 
um, sure, there's opinion mixed in with it, but it is what it is. It, you know, if I pull out a lyric sheet, which, I, which I've done, when I pull out, pull out a lyric sheet of Cardi B, um, the, one of her new cuts from a few months ago, they're still playing it. Cartier Barty. Uh, no, what is it? Cartier um, what is it? Barty, I think, right? No, Bartier. Bartier Cardi. Pardon me. Bartier Cardi. The lyrical, I mean, I li- I've listened to the song. Listen, I, 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 unfortunately, I don't like not knowing things. I know the nogs, you know, ends like not to know. I'm not one of those people. So even with the Nog music, I find myself on Sirius listening to a number of their channels. Unfortunately, Sirius has uh, rock, the, rock, the new Rock the Bells channels, which was formerly Backspin, which is classic hip-hop. That's notwithstanding. But the remainder of the hip-hop channels, and there are a number of channels on Sirius, and that's even excluding what's happening on local terrestrial radio. Um, you know, it, it's it's I, I immerse myself because I don't like not knowing. I don't want to be one of those folks that are that's not in not in touch. Just as you mature, you know, I may not like it, and I I fight like listening to music from decades ago because you know I do listen to it. I listened to 1999. I think I listened to DMSR earlier today, but I I can't like just listen to the past and stay there. So I listen to all kinds of music. I do like to listen to up-to-date, up-to-date alternative music, obviously, black indie music. But I'm also listening to the corporate nog music that I really don't like. But I got to nah, know. Now you pumping six nine. Takashi. <laughs> See, you got to know. You have to know who this gentleman is. You can't just, in order to be able to get at these these millennials, you got to be able to speak about what they're listening to. You can't speak from a position of ignorance. And it's not really the fact that it's youth music, because I don't do the age thing. I don't care what it. I don't care what it is. I just care that it's good or not. And when you listen to the lyrics of a of a Bartier Cardi, it's crazy. P this. Uh, I mean, I'm not even going to it, but it's it's just. <laughs> I'm no. Come on, man. And you ready to give this woman the keys to the kingdom? She's going to be co-hosting with uh, Jimmy Fallon, I believe, today, something like that. You know, how do you give a person that kind of credo, that the, the keys to the kingdom, and at the same time, she's you know uh, making allusions to gangs, gang affiliations, and you know all kind, and, and then what? You, and it's it's like a it's same thing with car with um. With uh, Nicki Minaj, you know, when you actually go into what they say on wax, and yet they're given like kind of an A-list status, I'm I'm scratching my head. Like, how does that work for black people? But mind you, black folks get that their entrance their entrance into the kingdom is to be as as vulgar as possible, and then and then we have to pretend. You know, we clean them up for the award shows, but what they, how they got there was not the same way that many of these white performers got there. These are the things that I'm seeing. Anyway, Afroner doesn't know what he's talking about. Afroner's, you know, too busy trying to kick kids off his lawn. Anyway, <laughs> let's talk about this, this, this distinction with Black Panther. And I'm curious as to what, I mean, yeah, first of all, more money is coming. 
more money is still coming from this movie because uh, you sent me this piece, but it's been making the rounds of Saudi Arabia. And I think I think didn't some, some uh, the the prince one of one of the the um, royals from Saudi Arabia paid a visit to Hollywood to to, to the Hollywood elite, and many of the many folks speculated that really was a, a business deal or discussion to open up Hollywood to Saudi Arabia. Now we know that culturally culturally a lot of this stuff is really not going to fly with their standards over there. But they're open but they are allowing a window of opportunity of financial access to North America with with North American so Harold entrance into Saudi Arabia after a 35-year ban is Black Panther. So, so, so again, Black Panther is going to be a kind of standard now. It, it, it has become a standard bearer. Now, I, I said, do I have to – and Q knows this. He was there. I said, do I have to choke a Negro? I, I said this to be, you know, to be funny on stage at the Schomburg a couple of years ago. And I had said, prophetically, if they do this the way it needs to be done, things are going to change. This is going to be, this is going to be a game changer. Yeah, no, Jaja Binks. Yeah, yuck, 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 yuck. You know, I was lambasted, uh, blocked for a moment of time when I had a problem with Ava DuVernay, the lovely Ava DuVernay. I like Ava, actually. But if she had gotten her hands on that film, we would not be we might have we might have cleared four hundred million. I'll say that. Oh, it would have yeah. done go crazy, crazy. Well, look, it, it would have it done something because it's still Marvel. It's still Disney. Listen, if it was mediocre, it would have done a third of what of of, of what um this this particular film did of a uh, young master, young master Kugler, what he was able to accomplish. And even I was, and I think even Q will admit to that. We were both a little, you know, a little, we you know what, which, which, what angle uh, Kugler was coming in, but Kugler appears to have a talent. This is, this is the third go around now. And I, I was starting to change my mind when I started looking at the Rotten Tomato scores on his preceding work. They were highly rated. I said, oh, okay, wait a minute. This is starting to be a trend. You know, when you start seeing the, the Nolans and the Tarantinos, when those folks start coming to fold, you start seeing that they have a long laundry list of, of work that is, highly, that is of high regard. So maybe he's, in that, maybe he's in that same discussion. You know, maybe he's in the same discussion. But if, if old girl ain't got a handle of this, I know we're in this gender space now where we can't be honest. We wouldn't be where we – the sisters wouldn't be in their way now, thanks to Kugler. Everything – sometimes things aren't about race. So, some things, sometimes they are about race. Sometimes they are about, uh, about gender. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes you just got to be good. I've been reading the book for, for decades. Daryl's been reading the book for decades. We knew what this thing was supposed to do. We didn't read the Boondocks. That was not that was not that was not entrance. The Boondocks was our no. exit. 
not throwing any, not throwing any shade. The Boondocks wasn't our interest into combo collecting and, co- and comic book works. We've been here for a minute. Anyway, what are your, what are your thoughts about Saudi Arabia opening up its doors after so long? After after almost we go we're pushing towards four decades now, and after four decades, it's Black Panther they want to see. What's what's up with that? It's, it's rather interesting because. Not too long ago, the women over there weren't allowed to drive a car. Just imagine that. Imagine that. You know? So it's rather interesting. You know? What's even more interesting is when they see, you know, the warriors there that are women in Black Panther. You know? Yeah, you have to be careful. You know? You have to be careful. You know, you just think about this. There's little pockets that are going on in here, you know, that are very dominant. What does it put in to the newest sphere around Saudi Arabia? What does it put into the mindscape of the women that see that? You know, you see these powerful women warriors in the Black Panther. You know, there's a lot going on there in that movie when you really start to think it. You got to think of it from their perspective. You know, the place has been locked down. You know how they do women over there, how they treat women over there. You know, a lot of times, not all the time, but a lot of times in that quote-unquote Muslim faith, the woman is like property. You know? So there's a lot going on with this movie. Take, Think about that for a second. If you can think from that perspective, watching Black Panther. I know some of you, like Daryl, you know, saw the movie many times. So you should be able to have a cinematic view running in your head. You know? It's rather interesting, isn't it? It's, def- it's definitely interesting. You see the black man also running everything. You know? And the tear levels within that. You see the white man as actually being the side piece to a certain extent. Think about that for a second. Put yourself inside of their body, their self-importance, not your self-importance. Think about that. This is a powerful movie, whether we like it or not. It's very, very powerful. And it may be even more powerful over there than it is than it was to us. It's very powerful. <laughs> it's going to be interesting what is going to come out of that, meaning which what they say, what are the feedback, if we can get actual feedback, you know, the correct feedback. I would love to be the fly on the wall after the movie, after they see the movie, that opening weekend or however they're going to do it out there. I would love to see that feedback, see what the men say, the women say, because it's a very powerful movie, very powerful. Very interesting. It's, a very, it's very interesting. You know? Back over to you, Afton. Yeah, for more specifics, I just put a link into the chat room from VanityFair.com. And it, again, it talks about this, the royals, specifically Mohammed bin Salman. MBS as an acronym, as an acronym by the way. Um, Mohammed bin Salman is a rather young cat, young royal. Saudi Arabia, Arabia, and uh, he and his crew 
were co- were co- connecting with the Hollywood elite, as I said, because he's trying to figure out how to garner even more finance beyond oil. So I guess, you know, again, someone who's young, fresh-faced, uh, he may be in some ways, you know, more liberal, challenging some of the mores coming out of Saudi Arabia, and he's probably seeing the big picture that um, being so heavily reliant on oil, which has garnered his family and many of the um, OPEC states, obviously, um, oil and petroleum exporting countries, uh, billions, right, finite, that he's going to have to figure out a way to garner other uh, ways of, of making money beyond oil. And this is when he's hobnobbing. I mean, you know, listen, the picture, there's a picture of him with Richard Branson. We know him from Virgin Records or Virgin the company, Virgin Airlines. I mean, he's a billionaire also. I mean, listen, these these people are are in rarefied air. But they were around, you know, Brian Grazer, he met with him. Brian Grazer is is, um, uh, Opie's, (laughs) I'm trying to think of Ron Howard's partner. His business partner, Bob Iger, his name comes up, Jeff Bezos. So he, he's meeting – heck, even Kobe Bryant, his name is, is, is mentioned in this thing. So I, I think it's r- rather interesting that you know, we think about um, especially uh, Saudi Arabia and, and many of these other um, Islamic countries as being you know, very you know, ultra-conservative and that – you know, western, westernized um, properties would not fly, and still I would think, but they are. You know, listen, I guess based on their own comfort level, they're going to explore some of this stuff. So, uh, at the top of the heat, to to gain entrance into their world, Black Panther is going to be the first film. So I'm curious as to how much money it will make in Saudi Arabia. But and even you know something else, Captain. I've said this before. Uh, Canary I, I was, in the coal mine. Well, yeah. Well, not even not, I wasn't thinking of that, but that's how it always works. But I, I was thinking really that uh, after Black Panther, or I should say, it was coming up. Even as a black person, I was I was concerned or asking the question: Well, what's a movie theater in Africa like? Like, what 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 is the African the African movie going experience? What's it? You know, what what is the African theater business? What what is that? And it's you know that's my own ignorance, but because of the because of this film, I saw there's there's a, a, a quite a few clips of Africans like you know just like everybody just like everybody else going to movie theaters and being excited just like African Americans were. But now, you know the, these movies you're you're hearing more of what's going on globally. Like no, it's not it's not about. I know that that uh, Trump has this kind of longing. For a segregated, uh, isolated world, you know, he wants to believe that it's 1900 in, in the Americas, that it's 1895. This is not the case. That you know, these corporates are, are understanding that glo- the globe is where it's at, and now we're going to have to pay attention. Now, you know, uh, Sergio and and all those folks in the business, you know, he's sending out tweets, and even I have to admit. I am interested in what, what's going on in Russia. What's, how's Russia receiving this? 
How's China receiving this? How's South Korea receiving this? I don't think we've had that kind of discussion uh, in recent years. Now we are. Actually, we're hearing more about Brazilian moviegoers, African moviegoers. Now it's going to be Saudi Arabian moviegoers, what they think about some of these, these films. And that's, that's what's going to be important when it comes down to how these movies translate into really being able to survive. You can't survive wholesale in North America. Not really. Not really. Anyway, the number remains the same, people. It's the Grindhouse, 646-915-9620. Again, 646-915-9620. All right. Um, you know, there, there's a, a birdie out there, a little birdie saying that. And I kind of kind of sort of thought so. I think it's going to be more definite if the box office receipts are gangbusters with Avengers Infinity War. But now they're saying that uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I forgot where I saw this, but uh, one of the blogs of note, I should say, it's a blog of note, I believe, said that um, the writer said that they had, I think, two or three trusted sources, inside sources that are saying that uh, it looks like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is probably going to get a sixth season after all. I didn't think that it wasn't because the numbers would would have probably had this thing canceled four years ago. I'm just saying. I think that the money that's being garnered on a billion-dollar status in the movies is underwriting this. That it's going it, that it's a it's an allowed it's an allowed um, commercial to me. I think. What what are your thoughts about the sixth season? Sixth season. I mean, listen, this could be wrong. Some, you know, some some stuff is coming out now. Some some um, hearsay is, is being put out there that it might get yet a sixth season. Your thoughts about that, Cap? Well, when you move a series to Friday, a lot of times, not all the time, a lot of times, the series goes there to die. We've seen that many times. We know that's the standard rule. <laughs> a year or two, and then you're finished. If not just a year. <laughs> yeah, a year or two, and you're finished. So, but, again, also, if you can go on a decent numbers for on a Friday, because you still need material for Friday. You know, maybe I have to keep you there for a while longer. And based on what you said also, you know, it's just one big commercial for Marvel. So it totally makes sense. Coupled with the fact the writing actually for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is very good. It's very well done. Storyline and everything what's going on, it's very intricate. It's not just, it's the storylines are actually tighter than what I see on CW. That's truth be told. And I like the CW stuff. Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong at all. I'm not knocking it. The writing is just better. It wasn't that way at first, but now it is. So I would like to see it continue. I would like to see it continue. They need to have it continue. As long as they can keep the writing like that, keep it going very well. And it definitely is, man. It's a commercial. You know, maybe we're getting some more crossovers in the sixth season. We bring some people back, you know. Bring Sif back. I like that episode with Sif. Bring her back. Even though she's on blind spot, but she might be. <laughs> that show might be getting gone. <laughs> it's going that way. You know, it's getting a little iffy. That's what they're saying, rumor. 
but it may hold on for another season. Back to you, Afternoon. We got 484. Right. We see you. Yeah, let's, let's bring him in. This is, of course, the Mighty Q-Storm, podcastjuice.net, and, of course, the Red Shirts podcast, both excellent podcasts that I would implore the listenership to check out. Q-Storm, what's hey. up, man? Hey. What's up? Um, you guys were talking about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and um, I got to tell you, I want to say maybe two years ago, I had kind of given up on that show. Um Actually, no. I gave up on it because they introduced the Ghost Rider, and it just wasn't the Ghost Rider that I was familiar with. And people kept saying, oh, it's it's a good show. It's a good show. I decided to watch it, and I got turned out, man. The show was dope, all right? Uh, this Robbie Reyes character, <laughs> dope. That was a good run. That was a good run. Then Go they went into the um, LMD storyline, yep. dope, right? the Nazi version of um, S.H.I.E.L.D. and all that stuff. Then at the end of that season, if you remember, uh, Coulson wakes up and they're in outer space. I'm like, oh, next season's going to be dope too. And when it started with the Kree and their captive on the, and, and Earth has been blown up, I was like, cool, cool, cool. But then like maybe, I don't know, five, six episodes in, I was like, what is going on? This is getting to be a slog. And I gave it up again. It got boring. They got too many characters running around. And I gave it up for maybe, I don't know, three, four months. And I picked it up again last night, and I tried to watch it. I'm like, you know, let me just jump ahead to the latest episode. Because I, I, there were like maybe eight episodes I hadn't seen. And I look at it, and Yo-Yo's got metallic, misty night arms now. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, what is going on? <laughs> so go back. I have to go back, but my point is, is that you're right, Cap. I got to go back, and I'm gonna give it a shot. But it's like this storyline with Decree has gone on, it's gone on way too long, and I'm bored again. I'm gonna force myself to watch it. And you guys are bringing up an interesting point. I have no idea why they got a, another season, and it can't be because they're using it as a commercial because there's no connection to the MCU other than Coulson. And how often have they mentioned Coulson in uh, the movies lately? I don't think I don't think hardly ever since he was killed, right, in Avengers, um, in the first Avengers. So I don't know why they're keeping the show around. I hope it gets better, but I have well, no clue well, why they keep it around. Well, one connection is definitely the mere fact it's there, so it makes a, a newosphere connection. That that alone is a connection. Oh, this is more. What, what connection you know? is it? Hmm? Which connection you said? I said it's it, it's thrown more into the newer sphere, it makes it stronger, you know. Just the mere fact that it's Marvel, you know, alone, you have something out there always, you know. That's part of that's a strong connection, you know. Not to say that we're going to forget Marvel at all, but it strengthens it, you know. That alone, you know. And they do think like that. People like that, they, you know. Eh, how much are we losing? How much you, you think you, they sit in their little rooms and say, how much are we losing? How much are we gaining? You think it makes sense to do this? Okay, let's do it. It keeps something out there. They make decisions like that. You know, if it's totally money generated and that's what they're concerned about, they just cut it. Get out of here. Screw everybody. Hence, Agent Carter, a show that we loved, you know. Come on. You see? That was their axe. It doesn't make sense. It's not making us any money. Boom, get her out of here. I would love to have the show back. Back to you, Affiner. Also, to, to, to Q's concerns, you know, when, when – um, when the captain throws out this terminolo- these terminologies, you got to look them up. 
no one on this show is just spewing like just crap. Noah's fear. I'm going to throw the link into the into the uh, definition. A postulated sphere or a stage of evolutionary development dominated by consciousness, the mind, and interpersonal relationships, frequently with reference to the writings of Telhard of Chardin. So he's not throwing stuff out there. <laughs> this is why the Afro Radio Show is a dangerous show. We are. <laughs> he's not just throwing out these terms like like he doesn't know what he's talking about. So uh, even even myself, I have to go to the dictionary when he speaks. So it's 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 a it's a term that we need to be familiar with. I'll put a link into the into the chat room. But he's he is he is patently correct. Definitely. But I I, I but I also even with even with the idea of what um of what Agents of Shield is as you know as, as to why it's hanging on. Uh I heard that a few years ago. I heard that Marvel made it, I, mean, I just didn't make it up. I I read somewhere that that Marvel, in essence, because of the success of the movies, is allowing allowing Agents of Shield because there's a lot of IPs that run through that through that property that keep things keep things alive. Like the fact that you just mentioned um, uh, life model decoys, that is a intellectual property that's part of Shield. That's part of the Marvel universe. Um, Sif was running through there. There's a, there's a lot of things that are like put out put out into the noosphere as what the captain just said that um it's it's a branding thing it literally is an infomercial that you know again black panther made 1. what 1.3 billion dollars in counting who knows what uh infinity war is going to make they can afford to keep this thing rolling if anything it's an ip machine it's a reason to keep keep marvel as a brand going even if it's on tv and on top of that, we have to be we have to be fair. The acting is exemplary for like a, a Friday night. I mean, they're, they're really you know they're really going for it. On I think the actors themselves enjoy being there because they really it's not ham ham fisted acting. You can tell when actors are kind of like just going through the motions and a wink and a nod. No, nah, they're pretty serious on that show. They're pretty serious. So I. I just wish that they would, hopefully as time goes on, that they, they have greater, I think they've earned a spot in cinema. Like they need to start bringing them in so that we all really know. I mean, that was, that was the discussion years ago, that the stuff that's going on in TV, that you might see more than a wink and a nod uh, with what happens in, on, on the silver screen. That's really my only problem with Marvel. Well, my, my, my thing is, I don't disagree with anything you said, but... Um... My problem is, you know, the connection again with the MCU. They had a great chance to connect the two. Um, what, what are we going? Maybe going back four years now, when they introduced the Inhumans, and they botched that completely. I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know what the synergy was at the time. I, I don't know all the dealings with the the MCU and the the TV verse, but they botched that whole thing. Uh, they rewrote the Inhumans a little bit, and I'm like, okay, you're going to do that, then do something with it. They did nothing with it except give us this ridiculous TV show, which even of itself had no connection to um, what we saw on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah, you know, uh, I even read somewhere. <laughs> I, I think I, I, uh, I don't think I tweeted it out. I think I just tweeted it among, among ourselves in um, the DM, and it was an article that talked about 
the winners and losers for this season. And <laughs> when it was when it was discussion of the Inhumans, parenthetically it said, "You're kidding, right?" Like when it was an offer of like a next season. Like, and, you know, they, they each each show was like, "It's a definite. It's not definite. Fifty fifty. And then parenthetically it said. For inhumans, you're kidding, right? <laughs> no, that's not going to. In other words, that that's not going to happen. And and you, what you say is is very fair. I I personally think that in the case of Marvel, Marvel is so um they're on they're, they're on such a hot streak, and a lot of it isn't necessarily happenstance. A lot of it is that you know they they know the product, but they also give you the intimacy. Of that product, they don't just put it up against the wall and and see that it sticks. I mean, um, if they were really concerned about the mythology of the Inhumans, they should have approached it like they approached Guardians of the Galaxy or or any of their other. Pro- I mean, first of all, alone, just visually, it, it, that's a, that is such a CGI feast that is necessary. That you 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 know, it's something with, with Wakanda in a way. I mean, of course, Wakanda means more to us culturally. But as far as what it's supposed to be, uh, Adelan is Wakanda. Adelan is supposed to be, I mean, first of all, the fact that it was on the moon on TV. Uh, to the listening audience, I'm, I don't want to go so insider. But the Inhumans, are, you know, just make it quick. The Inhumans, for those who even saw the TV show, they're this race of, of humans that were given, uh, I guess, uh, genetic abilities by way of this this master godlike race, the Celestials, was Celestials? The Celestials gave them these powers that kind of sort of remind you of the of mutants. But there's a um, there's a cultural thing they have to do. The Terragenesis mist that gives them these powers. It's it's done in a cultural way. You know, you have you have this this gene, but it has to react with this. And it's done in a cultural way. It's done almost like a bar mitzvah. When you become of age, somehow, whatever your genetics come out to be, you might be something you know, horribly disfigured. They will not perceive you as disfigured. But to us looking at it, you might come out looking like you don't know what. <laughs> but then you're designated. It's, it's, a, it's a world that's a, it's a caste system. It's a, I mean, it's, you know, when you really go into... Just, just, just this, just this discussion on the Inhumans. The Inhumans is a little heavier. It's a little heavier, a little bit more fantastical than just a damn TV show. I mean, it really should have been given Guardians of the Galaxy, Black Panther treatment. And tr- imagine putting Black Panther on TV. Now, th- that might happen so for some of the sidelines, for some of the sideline stuff. But again. That's because the mythology is so vast. Even in human mythology, is so vast. You really can't do that. They try to get away on the cheap. To be honest with you, Q. Yeah, they did. I, I You're right. You know, I, I I probably think you know you guys were talking earlier about DC uh, owns Marvel with the animation. Now, where does but where does Marvel shine on TV? On Netflix, maybe they should bring all their properties to Netflix and step up the game. Now, I know the Netflix properties, they're more real-world, more gritty, but hey, you know, you, you, Disney will back you. <laughs> Come on. Move them on to Netflix, make them R-rated, make put Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Inhumans over there and, and see what you get. Yeah, well, that that's also, listen, business dictates a lot of effery, unfortunately. 
there's, there's, as much as we love some of these properties, they have to go through the strain of business and litigation. And the reason why I say that is even as we speak, we don't know how long some of the stuff that's – the good stuff that's going on over uh, Iron Fist notwithstanding, <laughs> some of the good stuff that's going on over there at Netflix because it is Disney, and Disney is looking to prob- probably have their own streaming service. So they might extricate some of that stuff that's at Netflix, even though I think it is a comfortable fit, for their own purposes. So mm. what you're asking for might happen, but it might not happen the way you want it to happen. It may happen where, listen, we're going to bring all this stuff under a Disney umbrella. And then we have to think that um, you have ABC Freeform, which was formerly ABC Family, which has um, – what do they have over there? They have uh, a Cloak and Daggers coming, and I think they have one more – one more property, and I know that Hulu has Runaways, and actually, it's quite quite good. I mean, honestly, yeah. you didn't care. <laughs> well, you didn't you didn't care for Runaways? Oh I mean, man! It, listen, Runaways, Runaways is I, I, you might not like it because of some of the um, ghetto centric tropes. Like, there's a portion of it that's going into that, but that, that's, I'm trying to remember. There's a, there's a comic. I don't know if the comic. I don't remember the comic actually addressing that, believe it or not. I have to I it's like been a it, long it, time it, since it, I read it. I, I I saw the pilot episode. It was just it was a bore to me. I remember we were talking about this when it first came out and someone on Twitter, one of one of our group on Twitter said, you know, Afronaut, I'm not seeing what you're seeing, man and I, I looked at it and I had to agree with him. Well, again, I remember the comic book. And a lot of the comic book, you know, to be fair, a lot of what I saw, because sometimes I was thinking some of the stuff is so fantasy and fantastical, I didn't necessarily necessarily think that it was going to be a direct translation. But almost like how uh, The Walking Dead, for the most part, translates from the comics fairly well. Uh, Runaways, you know, know, again, it dealt with these kids who have to contend with their parents being – villains and it's really uh-huh. the, the kids versus their parents once the um kids find out because the kids were raised you know normally they were raised while raised with their parents belonging to this secret evil society so that part of it was pretty accurate um and and one thing that i appreciated was that the leader of because i'm always looking for black intelligence the leader of the crew was a black nerd, a, kind of a black genius. Uh, I don't know if I've seen the genius level intellect yet, because I've been in and out of it myself, but from, from what I saw, uh, his look and his acting as the leader, whereas everybody had some kind of mystical power or some kind of um, super, supernatural power, I don't believe he has a power, but you, you understand at some point that he, his power is his mind. And again, anytime we see black intelligence in real life or in cinema or in print, which is where I saw it, I dug that part of it. But we don't normally – they don't normally want to give that up to for us. And they actually – there are a few Marvel characters, a few black male Marvel characters and female characters that are of high cognition. So if we see, when we see this stuff translated in film, that, that, might, that might blind me, I will confess. That might blind me. But 
You might need. You might need to see. I mean, listen, a pilot episode is not enough. I mean, would you have wanted to, to judge Seinfeld on its on its pilot episode? I think I think the first couple of seasons were question marks for Seinfeld. Yeah, I, that's a good point. But you know, that was a comedy, so it's a little bit easier to digest. I mean, not, maybe that's unfair, but I mean, you know, you liked it. You know, I didn't. I, I respect that. I mean, I, I'll say I I loved the second season of Jessica Jones. People were bad mouthing that left and right. I watched it. I was thoroughly engrossed in that. So you know. Yeah, I, I thought it was actually. I thought it was. I liked it myself. Um, I, I will say it may not have been as engaging because you didn't have uh, David Tennant at least not all the way through. Um, you didn't have him there, and I'm curious as to what happens if we see a season three or four. Uh, you know, who know? You know how this comic book stuff works. You know, people may have a, a way of mysteriously coming back, so they may need someone like that. And also, uh, I'm glad to see Trish, because that character uh, in comics is Hellcat. So. Oh really? Uh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um, what's her name? Patty. Pat, what's Patty, her last name? Uh, Jenkins is it? No, no, no. I'll look it up. But but uh, that character is very much part of the uh, Marvel Comics mythology. And, it, and, and well, if you, rem- I'm sorry, I'm go, sorry. No, go ahead, go ahead. I'm gonna say if you, I'm not gonna spoil anything, but if you remember the last scene with Patty, oh, yeah. there's something going on. There's something going on there. So wow, that's I didn't know that. That I can't wait for season three now. Oh yeah, yeah. Listen, I love this stuff. I, I was when, once I heard that that dude called himself the Wizard, and he was dressed in yellow because they're not going to give you put you in a goofy costume if it is goofy, and that's and that's a golden age Marvel reference. But once they meant, once he said he he was he had speed. I mean, they, they they definitely did a nod to the geeks because he owned the mongoose and the Wizard as a golden age character. You know, I'm not going to go into his into his origin, but it's it's mongoose related. So the yellow and blue scheme, um, color scheme, and the fact that he did have super speed, you know, geeks have to be on top of this stuff to even put that in there. Was um, he a heavy set fellow in the books? No, 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 no. He was okay, a he was a, he, he was a classic speedster. If you think about, I mean, first of all, he does date back to Marvel's Golden Age, but he was brought back in what the late 70s in and invaders oh yeah i remember yeah okay yeah yeah uh, patricia walker patty walker had her own comic book patsy walker i should be more um accurate uh she had her she had her own book as patsy walker the character and then later on uh, this is the master, the mastery of Marvel. Marvel had her kind of like a romantic kind of Archie-esque character. And then from there, that same character was translated into being a superheroine. And she became Hellcat. And Hellcat has, you know, she can generate force fields. She, she's, she's a, a preternatural gymnast. You know, she's very, she's like a cat. And you saw that you saw a hint of that at the very as you alluded to at the very end toward the end that she's she's got something with her. She was desperate to become superpowered, and she it looks like she's gained her wish. So I, I hope they go into that. 
You know, I hope they go into that. So I find that pretty interesting. We got about thirty minutes remaining. Thirty minutes remaining, folks. I'm gonna. If, if you like to hang on, Q, you're more than welcome to. There's a lot more to unpack. Uh, to the remaining listening audience, uh, the captain had to exit stage right. Um, six four six nine one five nine six two zero is the number. Again, six four six nine one five nine six two zero. Actually, you no. Know, I want to talk about a few. I want to go to a groove. There's a lot of things to unpack. You know, I'm going to go into more grizzly discussion. <laughs> What's going on with Stan Lee? It frightens me. There's a lot going on with Stan Lee as, a, as an elder statesman, as an as a icon, 95 years of age. Uh, thankfully, he is still with us. But I'm going to just put this out here, and it's disturbing as all get out. Purportedly, Stan Lee's blood was stolen. Stan Lee's blood was stolen. And it has been used by, like, weird fans for, like, ink. I kid you not. I kid you not. This generation, man, <laughs> I don't know what that is, why that is, but to, to really desecrate. And then there's other things, too. I believe the Daily Beast had a whole expose on Stan Lee as he, as he you know, he lost his wife recently. And uh, I, I don't think... He is mentally addled or anything, but he's an older man, and uh, unfortunately, you have forces at, forces at work that seek to take advantage of elderly people, and you, you would hate to think that someone of his status is not protected, that there are people – you know, listen, there's people in the, in the fan base that would, that would protect this man, let alone family, but there appears to be, you know, these, these – these, um, you know, these, these shadowy figures that might be taking advantage of, of Stanley, where, you know, six-figure monies are being siphoned out of his account. I mean, Stanley is wealthy. He's, he's, he's very – he's wealthy. He's not as wealthy as he should be, but he's wealthy enough for people to take advantage of. So I think I might want to get into that because it really uh, – it really – it just stinks, <laughs> to be honest with you. It really stinks. All right, uh, I'm going to go to a classic groove for about two minutes. I think Houston may appreciate this. This is Steve Arrington. Nobody can be you. We'll be right back. Let's groove. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Nobody can be you. Uh, Houston, that's one of your homeboys, man. Hey, <laughs> listen. listen. Well, I'm not from Philly, just physically. Uh, you know, I'm I'm a transplant, but well, let me just tell way. you. <laughs> let me just tell you. Steve, you know, with Steve Arrington, all of his, uh, when he, his solo stuff was, was cool and everything, but for me, it starts and ends with Slave watching you. Of course. You put that on, it's a wrap. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, you know, I, there's a several reasons why I, I threw that on. One, you know, we do not only just play alternative new stuff, but I do go into the classics. And uh, even some of the new stuff that I play harkens back to some of the classical stuff. And, uh, you know, Steve Arrington is, in, you know, listen, he's a, a multi-instrumentalist um, from Philly. And, you know, currently he's with Stone, Stone's Throw Records. And Stones Throw Records, uh, Peanut, Peanut Butter Wolf, that whole crew, uh, Aloe Black. There's a lot of artists of note. I just played Mind Sign, Mad Villain, uh, Mad Lib, all these cats. Um, I think Anderson Pack. a lot of these guys, a Damn Funk. All these guys come from Stone, Stone's Throw, which is, an, uh, I, dare I say, an Herb Alt record label. And it just so happens they have the great Steve Arrington on their roster. So even with the younger or you know, newer groups, Steve Arrington, Jay Dilla, the late Jay Dilla, all that good music is coming out from Stone's Throw. And it's not coincident, by coincidence that uh, Steve Arrington is part of, that, part of that crew over there. So shout out to Steve Arrington. All right, we're back once again, 646-915-9620. Uh, the Mighty Q-Storm is sitting in with, with me for, for the duration, I, if he can. Um, so I wanted to talk about some, some news that really bothers me. And, and it, it's, listen, of course we're going to feel a certain way because it is Stan Lee, but it, it also delves into a larger issue of how we treat older people. And this just stinks whether it's someone of Stan Lee's status or not. But there's a story going around that I just heard about where allegedly by nefarious means – that I think vials of Stanley's blood were found missing, and now there's people you know, out there that are trying to use it for like you know writing things and say you, I mean like ink using a man's. I mean, first of all, that something about that's just this vial or something. Something is just disgusting. Use someone's body fluids. People do that, you know. But 
to do it to someone of Stan Lee's status is just disturbting. And then I, I this that's a more recent story, but going back a few weeks ago, the Daily Beast. I, I've been meaning to talk about this. The, the Daily Daily Beast brought out this story of how Stan Lee, you know, uh, allegedly like three hundred thousand plus dollars was taken from his bank account, and then you're hearing it is uh, he had to have someone forcibly removed from his Hollywood estate because this guy was, you know, trying to. Uh, you know, try, trying to strong arm this elderly man, and I mean, just a whole bunch of story. And, and the, the, the 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 their daughter, you know, you know, you know, his wife passed, and um, his daughter. Not that she is pilfering or anything, but she's a little out of it. Also, I think bad business deals. You know, there's, there's people that that are that are around this man. If we're let, if we're to believe what's being reported, that really don't have Stanley's best interest. And this is something that is constantly repeated when it comes down to uh, entertainment. Not not just you know, listen. We usually hear this with black people. I think about even what's, hap- what's happening with with Prince. I I hope that what happens to Prince's state is is respected. But you're still I'm still hearing you know kind of whispers of nignoggery. You know that's one thing about unfortunately when black folks leave the scene. There's another thing for for this man of Jewish descent to have these issues. But for black people, when they when they leave the scene, even someone as big as Prince, you know, the wills weren't done, no real will. Now you got twenty people sharing your estate, uh, twenty, you know, half brothers, half. I mean, all these things going things are going on. I'm hearing that this this legendary vault of music, that some of that music might be, or uh, I hope it's not true. Q, you you were there at Podcast Juice, a Prince podcast, but I heard something. To the effect, and I, I chose to ignore it because I didn't want to believe it. That some of the music, the fame music in his vault, that some of that stuff had sustained water damage. That you know, there's films and music that we might never be able to hear because of water damage. Like something crazy, you know. Just whether it's Prince Stanley, who's still living, we're hearing people being t- taken taking advantage of of people. What are your thoughts about? I'm talking about Stan Lee specifically, but I kind of segued into Prince as well. What are your thoughts about this kind of stuff and why it's happening? Yeah. I'm not that familiar with the Stan Lee story, but um, if I read you correctly, you're talking about, you know, these um, iconic figures, you know, the the defiling, I guess you want to say, of their legacy. I, I, I'll take that from what you're – from the story you're reporting. And um, – yeah, I'm I'm completely 100% behind you. I I remember was it late last year or earlier this year? I posted up something. I can't remember what the topic was, but it, I posted it up and sent it to you saying, you know, this is what you're talking about. Um we're not really keeping we're not being good stewards to our legacy. Um so yeah, I'm, I I'm 100% behind you. Yeah, there's uh the Daily Beast is also uh you know, I got this from some other comic book website, but the Daily Beast they're reporting this also. So uh, within the last day or so, they have a piece simply entitled "Was Stanley's Blood Stolen?" and used to sign comics. Just sounds vile. Then there's another story going back a month ago. That's not. It, and it, it, it sounds illegal too. Oh well, of course. Well, yeah, of course. But I mean, just I don't. You know, listen, I don't get that. Uh, but then the, the story that preceded it from a month ago was entitled "Picked Apart by Vultures: The Last Days of Stanley." 
And it says, months after losing his wife, the 95-year-old comic book legend is surrounded by charlatans and mountebanks, a word I've never, I'm not even familiar with. Familiar with. I'm always learning some it, new word. It's, it's, uh, it's not a good person. <laughs> it's, yeah. Well, that's I, a long I short of that. It. Yeah. Um, let me read this quickly, and then we'll, we'll even move forward. We've got about 20 minutes remaining. It says, uh, this is from the, the March Daily Beast article about the vultures uh, and again, the use of the term vulture is kind of funny because that's one of his characters. Anyway, you might expect Stan Lee at age 95 to be enjoying the fruits of his many labors. Marvel Comics, the company he served as the former president and chairman of, dominates pop culture, popular culture. Characters he co-created, among them Spider-Man, Iron Man, X-Men, and the Avengers, are household names. He's a comics legend with his own star of the Hollywood, Hollywood Walk of Fame. When Marvel sold to Disney in 2010 for $4 billion, he personally pocketed a cool $10 million. And, you know, wow. Anyway, <laughs> it's a lot of money, but then it's not. And he toured the world as its ambassador emeritus. And midway through his 10th decade, Black Panther, based on a character he and Jack Kirby first envisioned in 1966, currently sits atop the global box office charts and carries a Rotten Tomato score of 97%. Uh, let's see if I can see something else here. Just quickly, in just over two months, there have been published reports of an authorized check of $300,000 written from Lee's business account without his knowledge to Hands of Respect, a merchandising company, in quotes, an ersatz charity formed by Lee and Jerry Olivares, Olivares pardon me, a former business associate of his daughter's, the word loan is inscribed on the face of the check. Wow. Uh, there's even more here. This is other red flags included the purchase in the fall of 2017 of an $850,000 condo in West Hollywood, a short distance from Lee's home in the Hollywood Hills, and $1.4 million that mysteriously disappeared in a complicated wire transfer, transfer transaction. Okay. You see, this is, this is like... I mean, and then they had, you know, we heard about the sexual improprieties where, you know, he's in, he's in the shower and asking for handies. Uh, you know, listen, I don't know something about that. I'm, I'm all about the Me Too, hashtag Me Too. I'm, no, one, no one here is supporting um, women being accosted. But when this is mixed in with all of these other shenanigans going on where it appears to be financially – a financial um, way of, of, of accruing funds from this person. To me, it's, it, it, the sexual impropriety is one of a number of things going on in this 95-year-old man's life. It smells like chicanery. So I, I'm putting it out there to the listening audience. I, ho- I just hope that Someone comes to this man, whether it's Kevin Smith or some of these people that profess to love Stanley, that they need to, uh, you know, get on top of this and figure out what the hell is going on. Don't these people have family members or inner circles or something? Well, you know, listen, I mean, listen if, it's ha- if it's happening to white folks, <laughs> you know, but, it, but, but also to be fair, you know, um, you know, Stan Lee's background, you know, a lot of these people, these people have this idea that, that whiteness, that whiteness is all-encompassing. It's like blackness is all-encompassing. Um, many, many of the 
the creators of co- of the comics that we all know and love, the medium. Many of them, you know, they 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 died without any money. They came, you know, these were New Yorkers that came from uh, impoverished or working class backgrounds. You know, the the, the uh, Siegel and Schuster story is horrifying. You know, many of these stories, you know, these, these just because they're white folks don't mean that they, you know, hey, you know. Unfortunately, they, they, you know, you think it's, it's tough being a black person getting screwed. Um, I should say white person being screwed, but black people, listen, we have our own stories too. But it just goes to show you that, you know, Stan Lee comes from some humble beginnings. I mean, he's been, he's been successful for quite some time, but, you know, the comic book industry has had its ups and downs. I mean, uh, Marvel Comics was bankrupt. So, you know, now at the midnight hour, these folks are getting their shine. Some of these, some of the uh, the creators, um, you know, they 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 live to be in their 80s, if not 90s, where they started to see these billion dollar windfalls. I mean, it it is it is, it's crazy. We won't be saying that about George Lucas. We know that man's gonna die uh, intact. Well, look. George Lucas came into the came in, into the game uh, as a young man in the seventies, um, uh, college student, college educated, and the whole nine. Uh, we're talking about the the Stanley Stan Levers, Stan Lee, of course. Um, another name that came up, I think, even Sergio sent a, an article to me about Joe Sinnott. Joe Sinnott, the, the great penciler, uh-huh. Joe Sinnott, who's still who, who's still at ninety. Is still working. Wow. Uh, he's the one. He, he, he's uh, he's you know semi-retired. He works from his house, which is cushy gig. But he's he's still proficient, and he's still a master. I mean, you look at his work. I mean, Joe Sinnott Sinnott is the man. Still has his wits. Uh-huh. Uh Someone uh, someone else. Uh, who else am I thinking of? Uh, Steve Ditko is a recluse. But he's still he still gets, Yeah. Yeah, people are trying. He's like he's like the Greta Garbo of Marvel Comics because you can't. You know, people are trying to knock on his door. He barely opens the door. His neighbor says that yeah, he's still around, and he and the neighbor is aware of his checks. Like the neighbor says, oh, that guy does all right because you know, listen, Steve Ditko is still co-creator of Spider-Man, and he still is probably getting five-figure, six-figure checks checks monthly. So let's not feel so sorry. But again, you're getting. Some kind of money at 96 years old. You know, I'd rather be 46 or 36 or even 26 getting that money. Hell, right. 66, 66 ain't bad. But when you're 96 getting money, I'm just saying. We got a caller, 510. Welcome to the Grind House. Tell us who you are, where you're calling from. What's up? Oh, this is Miss Lady. I'm on the West Coast. You know, I just wanted to address the elder abuse that occurs with elderly people. It's quite common, and it's to be expected if they have any kind of asset. And, you know, I've heard of this and seen this with wealthy people and middle-class people or people that have acquired, like, some properties, have, uh, have bank accounts or assets. So, unfortunately, a lot of elderly people do not have family members or close friends that are conservatives of their estate that really love them and care about them. 
it seems like there's always some secondary gain, and I see how they rally around them and befriend them, and they want them to become dependent upon them. And then, you know, a lot of elderly, they start having signs of dementia or Alzheimer's. They're, they may be in a lot of physical pain from arthritis. They're not there on medications, so they may not be thinking clearly and be able to be discerning. So this is quite common. It's, elder, it's elderly financial abuse, and um, I'm not surprised that it's happening to him. Um, and he's, if, he, if he lost his wife, who he's married to and loved, that has, I'm sure it's had a very devastating effect on him and can cloud his thinking. Um And I remember years ago, there was a really good movie about Doris Duke. And poor Doris, she was an alcoholic, I do believe, and had been married a few times, never had children. She was, you know, a very wealthy woman, um, and she had no family that loved her. And from what I recall, if you could look at that movie, it was good. Well, very well acted. Poor Doris was stuck up in that mansion on Fifth Avenue, dependent on this butler who became conservative of her estate, got rid of her friends, wouldn't allow them to visit. They were concerned about Doris, fired the doctor that was concerned about Doris being overly medicated, um, got rid of her attorney who was concerned, and um, hired another doctor that went along with the program and kept kept just giving out the scripts for sedatives, a lot of medication. And I remember she was a diabetic, and um, she was just so mistreated. And it was like she was old and frail, and she couldn't escape. She was held prisoner in her mansion. And, of course, the butler ended up inheriting uh, her inheritance, um, uh, but karma's real because uh, I understand he was, he, he was an alcoholic, he came one. Um, uh, there's some question about how she died. Was she over-medicated? She given too much insulin or whatever. But anyway, um, he ended up dying in a, I think he was hit by a car as a passenger or something like that. But she, it was just sad. If you can see that movie, it really shows you wealthy people are not immune. In fact, they're we're likely to be abused, I believe. So it's really well, important the, to have people in your life that really love you. You know what I mean? What, you, what you're talking about, I'm just kind of lo- I'm just looking over some of uh, the, the storylines you're mentioning. Mm-hmm. I think there's two two films referencing Doris Duke. One is called Too Rich, The Secret Life of Doris Duke, which came out in 1999. And the late Lauren Bacall was in that. Lauren Bacall, Richard Chamberlain. They were in that movie, and then 2007, HBO had a film called Bernard and Doris, starring Susan Sarandon and Ralph Fiennes. So uh, what you're saying bears bears I merit. I think it would be the later one, yeah. She had some girl she adopted, you know, as an adult, kind of out there, kind of hippie-ish, uh, and I don't think she really, uh, they didn't depict her as being a real loving person for Doris, but... Yeah, but Doris, uh, she was a difficult personality, it seems, and uh, but still, she was abused and um, taken advantage of. But I've seen it. I, I, I know of a woman now who um, 
had a, uh, she has no children. She's elderly with some very nice properties and saved every penny her whole life. You know, she did never went to college. She, you know, she came from the South, but she was smart. And she and her husband saved money and bought properties. And I'm sure those properties are worth, you know, probably three and a half million uh, alone. So uh, she had um, a niece who uh, was executive of her estate who was taking money out of her checking account. I think she took wow. around $30,000. So she had to go to an attorney and get her off. And so the attorney is really kind of helping her oversee all of this. She still has her mind. She's in her 80s. She's very clear. Yeah, well, and I unfortunately, think she even said they got one of her properties. They unfortunately, might have some documents, but she didn't want to get them in trouble. I wanted her property. Well, we're gonna to have to stop so it she here. Just let unfortunately, it go. We, unfortunately, we'll stop it here. Thank you for calling. Uh, continue listening. We appreciate it. Um, I, I, I think what the young lady was talking about is important. Um, I just hope that, and I want to, because we got about eight minutes remaining, so I do want to get a couple of stories out. But I think at the end of the day, um, she makes a valid point. That it goes even beyond someone of Stanley's status. Hell, uh, even folks that are, are, are really are, are not of his means. We see elderly people being attacked on the streets here in New York, unfortunately, and in other cities. Uh, I'm pretty sure, Q Storm, you've seen this stuff. It's heartbreaking to see elderly people that are still with us, still functional, but they are prey to you know some of these these folks that are uh, could care less. If someone is an older an older person, they just attack them, hit them, take their money. Uh, it's disgusting. I guess whether it's done through nefarious means in the way of taking from your checking account, or whether it's confrontational on the streets, it's it's uh, it's a messed up situation. So our prayers go out to, to to Stan Lee. I hope this stuff isn't. I hope it's not true. Or I hope somebody comes to his assistance to make sure that this stuff this stuff stops. But. You know, it's it, it's uh, it's rather tragic when it comes to people that were instrumental in our development. I'd say that. I mean, it's, it's Stan Lee and some of these people had a lot to do with what we know and love today. We grew up we grew up on their art, so um, it's it, it's it's rather unfortunate. Again, we got about less than six minutes remaining, so I do want to address a couple of things quickly. Um, I was gonna, you know what, I was gonna mention. A few new properties coming out that got TV deals. I'll mention that quick, but then I want to talk about this doomsday clock, and then we'll close out. Um, to the uninitiated, even more. Talk about superhero fatigue. I don't know when it's going to come. I don't know if we're in the middle of it now. Uh, the the, the uh, success that we may see from Infinity War might, you know, might be counter to that. But Garth Ennis's The Boys, which is, a, which is pretty much an R-rated comic book about these um, this kind of black ops heroes that are there to police mainstream superheroes. Now, let me repeat that. There's a, they're, they're called The Boys, even though there's a girl in the group. They are super-powered, but they're kind of on a black ops tip to kind of watch the mainstream, more acceptable heroes. So it's very blue, this Garth. And Garth Ennis's book, and people have been reading his works. I mean, that's kind of his bailiwick anyway. So that's, that's being brought to screen. 
uh, I, well, I should say streaming. I believe that's going to be on Amazon. And uh, oh, what's the guy's name? Um, it's going to be the, the lead character uh, from the Star Trek. Who was the guy that played uh, the, the, the latest Judge Dredd? Oh, Carl Urban. The lead in The Boys. Brian K. Vaughn's Why the Last Man is going to FX. And that was supposed to be a film like going back, I don't know, a few years ago. And the comic book is excellent. Excellent. And one of the main characters is a woman of African descent that is the protector of why. Why the last man is, is, the, is a man that, that because it, you know, is referencing his Y chromosome. Uh, he, it's, like, it, it's a twisted take, a new twist on the post, post-apocalyptic sci-fi theme. Except in this apocalypse, no men, no men are alive. There's only one man is alive. One man and his mo- male monkey. <laughs> uh, his, his monkey. His monkey is called Ampersand, like the grammatical sign. Ampersand and Yorick. Why is Yor- you know, it's like a double entendre. Why the chromosome and Yorick is his name. And uh, you could imagine... It's not as interesting to be the last man in a world full of women. And it also shows you that the women definitely take up, take up where the men have left off. There's still wars. There's still racism. It's not the pleasant you know, uh, utopia that one would expect. So, uh, and again, his protector is a black woman who was a government agent. So I, I, I could go more into the story. It lasted around 50-something issues. Um, so I'm very intrigued as to how this is going to play out as a series. I think, I think it would be better as a series, because I think there was talk of it being a movie. So if FX gets a handle on this, it should be very interesting. So I think that's pretty, pretty, pretty cool. And also, Kurt Busick's Astro City. Has, has also got a development deal for a TV series. Uh, I don't know anything beyond that, but Astro City is, is a, I don't know, a, a long-time comic book series where uh, superheroes are the norm, like superheroes in society. And it's not only about superheroes in society, but it's also about how society deals with superheroes. So it's kind of it's kind of like... Um, what is that series that that uh, I'm, I can't? It's the series that was actually quite good. You remember, you remember the series Q with uh, an older Superman and uh, oh, uh, Kingdom Come. Yeah, King, thank you. It 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 has a Kingdom Come feel to it, and even uh, Alex Ross, who we know from Kingdom Come as the artist, is was also an artist on Astro City. So that connect is definitely there. Oh, I, was gonna, I really wanted to go into Doomsday Clock. I'm going to have to talk about Doomsday Clock probably Wednesday. We've got less than a minute remaining. Doomsday Clock, which is the sequel to The Watchmen, uh, the Watchmen comic book, I should say. It is actually an excellent, an excellent send-up of The Watchmen. And this is the book say, that merges The Watchmen with, um, the, DC with the, more, the DC Universe, right, okay. Right. And you, that book and is I'll always just, sold out when I go to my comic book shop. You better get it. It's it's so sold out. 
uh, that it's only coming out every two months. And maybe because of the level of writing. Let's just say there, there is a black Rorschach this time. <laughs> there is wow. a black Rorschach. And there's, there's a – well, if you remember um, uh, Walter Kovacs, a.k.a. Rorschach, he was being interviewed by a black psychologist. You remember that when he was in jail? Yeah, yeah, okay. You're right, right, right. Well well his son ends up taking the mantle of Rorschach and he's just as crazy. And there's a reason why he's crazy. So you need wow. to get on that. I think I think it's uh issue four so far. Can I ask, can I ask you real quick before you close shop? Sure. Has Action Comics one thousand come out yet? I think that's next week. I've been okay. seeing some advertisements on that. I don't think it's out quite yet. It's coming up soon. It's coming up soon, definitely. All right. Uh, well, we're already in a podcast mode, so we're gonna have to close shop. She was always. I appreciate you coming in to, uh, you know, to um, be a designated hitter. Of course, we'll be back on Wednesday. I think I'm gonna go deeper into this Black Rorschach and the Doomsday Clock mythology and how it actually measures up with the original Watchmen. I mean, even the the tone. Gary Frank is an excellent artist. He's like one of my favorite artists. So. And he has a very realistic way of drawing characters. So the whole thing is very cinema feeling. You know, when a person can really draw, and when the writing is superior, you forget that you're reading a damn comic book. So I'm just saying, you need to get that doomsday clock like yesterday. <laughs> anyway, folks, Q, appreciate it. Wednesday, 7 p.m., we'll be back at it again. This is Knox Brown, The People. It's been real, folks. We appreciate it. Am I helping or slowing you down? Can't get nothing but bad news right now. Lord, forgive me, I got you, no sound. Lost in the matrix, it is all written down. We built the pyramid in the field where you hung around. That queen Elizabeth sound. Jewelry on your head. Camera seat, everything we do and say.
Don't you wanna be free? I just wanna be, I just wanna be 